Hi, welcome to Over Beers, a craft beer conversation podcast. I'm Freddie Clark. This week, I visited the tap room of the Elementary Brewing Company in Hackensack, New Jersey, to talk with co-owner and head of brewing ops, Blake Crawford. Coming up on its second anniversary, the Elementary has quickly made a name for itself and generated quite a loyal following. Their wood paneled tap room was starting to pick up on a Thursday night that I visited, and we had a really good conversation. Along the way, the topic of barrel aging came up, so I felt that was a good place to start for this week's topic. Today, when you think about wooden barrels, most are going to think about wine or spirits, but for most of its history, beer was transported in wooden barrels. It's only been recently that stainless steel tanks have taken over for use in the beer industry. Stainless is generally cheaper and easier to maintain the sterility of the beer within. Today's brewers will age beer in wood to influence the flavor and aroma of the beer. Oak is predominantly used, but others like chestnut, ash, cedar, cypress, and pine can be used. Using barrels previously used for wine or spirit production is commonplace now, and bourbon is the most common. By U.S. law, any whiskey designated as, quote, straight bourbon must be aged for a minimum of two years in new American white oak barrels. American oak has powerful flavors, and these are enhanced by charring the inside of the barrels. Each distillery will use its own blend of oak and amount of charring to produce their own individual flavors. But here's the kicker. A barrel can be used only once. So you can imagine the bourbon industry goes through a lot of barrels, and for years they had a big surplus. After the bourbon aged, there was little use for the barrel, and there were a lot available, and they were very inexpensive. But today, a recently emptied barrel can cost as much as $250. Demand has gone up. Breweries in the U.S. and across the globe are using them to enhance the flavor of their beers through barrel aging. The wood will retain the flavors of the previous liquid, and over time, that will be passed along to the beers aging in them. Bourbons are popular, but so is red and white wine, applejack, scotch, and some brewers, like Elementary, are using other spirits, like even tequila. Depending on the brewery, barrel-aged beers will be a limited run, only in their taproom for a limited time. But others are bottling their barrel-aged runs and offering it to a wider distribution. It's another way craft breweries can offer new flavors to their customers. So with that, let's sit down with Blake Crawford and talk about his brewery, The Elementary, over beers. Myself and my husband Michael own the brewery. Uh, he has a PhD in molecular biology. Uh, my degrees are in chemical engineering, and, and out of grad school, my first job out of grad school was as a designer of brewery equipment um, and brewery systems, brewery control systems, and that sort of thing. So, straight out of grad school, I spent some time um, uh, in breweries, working on breweries, building brewery equipment. Life takes you in weird directions, um, and 15 years later, I'm sort of coming back home to uh, to the brewery again. Okay, so you had left, done other things, yeah. and, and what wound your way back? Yeah, I okay. was in broadcast television for 10 or 12 years, and oh, then uh, now I'm back uh, as an engineer. Engineer, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by the paths that people take to get where they are. because <laughs> it, it can be circuitous, right? Yes, it's like I'm amazed that somebody who says, 
I was into beer in high school, and I knew that's what I was going to do, and I took it all the way through. It's oh my goodness, no! Uh, yeah, that, that that is not me. Okay, I, uh, I was I was born and raised in Northwest Arkansas. Okay, and so now I own a brewery in Hackensack, New Jersey. So like, life is weird. Yes, it is. <laughs> so so so, what brought you then from Arkansas to Hackensack? So work. Okay, uh, I had moved originally from Arkansas to Boston. I spent uh, five or six years in Boston and um, had an awesome job. I was traveling 100% of the time, mm-hmm. um, working at, you know, with brewery clients, control systems, that sort of thing. Um, and it's it's great when you're just out of grad school and somebody gives you a plane ticket and a corporate Amex and they say, you know, go see the world, do, right. do your thing. Um, that was awesome for a while, but you know, it wears on you after mm-hmm. a little bit of time. So uh, I had a number of clients in New York, so that's when I had moved from Boston to New York just so I could be home a week or two out of the month. Um, and then ended up exiting that business, you know, completely mm-hmm. um, and working in, in broadcast for a while okay. and then coming back to open a brewery. Okay. When you decided you were going to do a brewery, yeah. um, why New Jersey? Why not New York? Ah, good question. So this entire brewery was planned on a trip, on a road trip back from Stowe, Vermont. Okay. Um, so both Michael and I are very avid skiers, and so the skiing culture is very closely related to the craft beer culture, mm-hmm. basically everywhere you go, right? So you go to Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Colorado, Utah, anywhere you find skiers, you find this very vibrant craft beer culture. And it was um, a trip back from Stowe when we were in a car with some friends, and we thought, you know, why doesn't this exist? in our hometown like why do we go why do we drive for hours and hours and hours to have uh, this awesome craft beer experience in another place like why doesn't that exist here so we started just talking in the car about what does a brewery look like in northern Jersey I mean mm-hmm. at, at this point Bricks wasn't even open yet like they're, right. our, they're our closest brewery three miles down the road so what like what um, year are we talking where, uh, where the conversation is, is happening it's like 2013 2014 okay okay um, so it's, it's a bit of time ago mm-hmm. and and so just, you know, driving back from Stowe, you got five and a half hours to burn. So right. that, that was the conversation. Okay. Just, so it was just the fact that there was not one here. There wasn't one here. And you know, that was... And we wanted that local experience. It okay. was like, you know, we go to these places and, and, you know, you come off the mountain and you hang out and you have this awesome craft beer experience. We really wanted to bring that closer to home. Okay. Um, so that was the plan. So in your background, I mean, I know you were making beer equipment. Yeah, but was there growing up, high school, college, was beer an interest at that time? Oh or yeah, were, it, yeah. It, okay, it, so it, it, yeah, it, to, totally an interest. And I, I had been a, a home brewer for years. I, you know, I had had the the luxury of this experience in the industry prior, where mm-hmm. you know the larger equipment doesn't necessarily scare me. In fact, I'm, I'm much more at home on larger process okay. equipment than I am uh, on smaller homebrew equipment. So, it, you know, in one regard, it was much more comfortable experience. And then for Michael, it was really just an issue of twisting his experience from uh, academic labs and pharmaceutical labs into 
how do we run a a brewery microbiology program? Right. And so that's what he's okay. created here. Well, and, I mean, it's, it, biology is biology, and percent. It, oh, whether it's pharmaceuticals or beer, yeah. fermentation and, and how everything acts together is definitely a he, part he of it. He read like three books and was like, yeah, I got this, no right, problem. Right. I was okay. like, okay. There you go. That's <laughs> great. Three, three books. That's the shortest beer education I've heard. Yeah, yeah. And he, he's, he's actually a rocket scientist, so it, it helped. 2013, talking about it on the ride home from Stowe. Yep. What then happens? So I know it's not something you can come home and do in no. a day. No, we, we looked around because we, we knew it needed to be Bergen County. We, so we, we wanted it to be Bergen County. Okay. I'm so, assuming you live in yeah, the vicinity. Uh, yeah, we live in Bergenfield. So okay. we're just from, from where the brewery is. We're two and a half miles up the road. Okay. So uh, we knew it needed to be Bergen County. We wanted it to be close to home. Um, you know, we looked at opening a brewery in 2014, like early 2014, mm-hmm. and realized that uh, real estate in Bergen County is not cheap, and warehouse real estate is specifically not cheap. So um, we put the brewery aside for a minute, started looking at uh, the opportunities to open a craft beer bar, maybe buy an existing bar with an existing liquor license, and turn that into an awesome craft beer bar. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't take long to figure out that the only thing more expensive than opening a brewery in Bergen County is buying a liquor license in Bergen County. Anywhere in New Jersey. Anywhere. Um, So very quickly pivoted back to uh, finding appropriate real estate for a brewery Mm -hmm. and shopping it around to different towns where we found real estate that we liked. And it took about a year to really find a place. And and the the building that we're in right now was derelict. It had been empty for 10 to 12 years before we bought it. The town was very anxious to have someone redevelop this particular building because it was a bit of a blight in an otherwise, you know, it's an industrial neighborhood, but it's Mm -hmm. a lovely industrial neighborhood. Um, And uh, then we pitched it to the town and Hackensack was very welcoming to us uh, and our business. That's great. They helped us out a lot. All right. Now, so what year did you, what year did you get the green light for the go ahead and get moving? So we bought the building in 2015, Mm -hmm. February 2015. Um, we got the green light from the planning board in April of that year. This mm-hmm. was after some ordinance changes. We had to negotiate uh, with the town to get an ordinance change to allow alcohol to be manufactured here, which okay. was previously illegal. So we did that. And but so, you said the town was into it, so they, it was... They're totally into it. Okay. You know? It's like Hackensack is in the middle of this awesome uh, redevelopment program. They call it the, the, you know, the downtown revitalization project. And so they're doing a lot of mixed-use developments and... and focusing on the commuter culture of people who can be here, primarily younger folks who are commuting in and out of the city, mm-hmm. and and you need stuff for people to do, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to live and work and play in the same place. You don't want to have to constantly be going back into Manhattan just to get a decent beer. You want to be able to hang out in, in or, the town where you or live. Or to go to Stowe. Or to go to Stowe. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to get a decent beer. You want to hang out where you are and get a, get a good beer. Um, so Hackensack and the mayor and the uh, city manager extremely helpful in helping us navigate the uh, sort of political framework that we needed to get through to get um, the approval for the brewery here. So that was um, sort of mid-2015 mm-hmm. by the time all that happened. Then the the blitzkrieg of construction occurred, and this was like a full court press because um, at that point we had owned the brewery for, we had owned the building for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, needed to make some money, so we pushed through the <laughs> pushed through the renovations as quickly as we possibly could, 
and opened up in on tax day, um, April 15th. Uh, 2016. Just coming up on two years. Yes. Nice. Yep. Just a little bit shorter two years. Yep. Now, the equipment, given your prior background, did you build everything? No, no, I didn't (laughs) build everything. I just, I terrorized the equipment vendor who did build everything. Okay, Um, okay. I was very specific about how how this brew house needed to be built. It's not a large brew house, um, but it is engineered like a full high-throughput production brewery. So, um, you know, we, we can push a, a, a significant amount of beer out of a seven-barrel plant, so we're so quite a proud of that. Seven-barrel, yep. okay. Seven-barrel plant with a seven-barrel four-vessel plant with uh, fifteen and seven-barrel fermenters, all of okay. it steam-fired. Did you have a relationship with your with the vendor who got you the materials, or was this the, no, no, okay, no? I, I found them. I interviewed. Uh, five or six different places. Uh, we ended up buying everything from a place in uh, uh, Nebraska called American Beer Equipment. Mm-hmm. They're awesome. Their service is fantastic. Uh, they hit all the dates. Like, it was, I wouldn't say it was a bit of a random choice, but it was, um, uh, I felt good about the discussions that we had with them, so okay. uh, we went forward with them. There's a lot of breweries. People approach it a lot of different ways. What was your approach besides just saying one want a brewery in Hackensack? Yeah. So one of the things that we had taken from our experiences with other breweries and other places is that we didn't spend a lot of time traveling to very famous breweries, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a skier, you spend a lot of time in remote places, so you spend a lot of time in remote breweries that probably nobody's ever heard of. Um, and so that was sort of the, the aesthetic that we wanted to bring to the town, which was to be primarily locally focused. Like okay. we have a good deal of beer tourism. People come here from lots of different directions and lots of different places to come visit our brewery. We love that. Um, but uh, on a week in, week out basis, seventy percent or more of the patrons to our ta- to our tasting room come from within eight miles of this location. Okay. So um, we wanted to create a space where people could come locally, where people could visit locally, um, and we didn't really plan on distributing broadly or widely outside of our immediate area. Um, Plans have changed a little bit (laughs) in that regard, but um, that's at least how we started out. So the aesthetic, you know, we're hanging out here in the tap room and you can see there's a ton of wood uh, and there's a ton of steel. It's not... Um, you know, it's a very warm, welcoming kind of environment you can hang out in. We, we built a, a purposefully large tap room because we didn't want people to feel closed in and crowded. We wanted people to hang out um, and uh, enjoy beer with their friends and family and, and take some stuff home with them. So, um, the, you know, the aesthetic was to do exactly that, which was to not build a brewery that was focused on broad distribution, but to build a brewery that was built on, you know, local distribution. What was the genesis of the name? So, trademark. Uh, I had a uh, beer blog a long time ago, craft beer blog, that was called The Elementary, where it was basically like me just writing random crap about like craft beer and like whatever stuff that I happened to be brewing at the time. And trademark is a big issue in our industry. And I had uh, an existing trademark for that name for a beer blog. It was pretty, fairly strong trademark. Uh, so it was just an issue of adding another class to that trademark. Okay. So um, that and it also fits our aesthetic. You know, it's like we're we're nerdy about literally everything. So okay. uh, you know, bringing a little bit of science to the brewer's art is sort of the thing that we were going to do. 
And so we figured elementary speaks to that aesthetic. So not only did we have the trademark, but it also worked with uh, with our plans. Okay. Is the blog still around? No. No, you took all that down? Yeah, all of that is gone. I'm sure <laughs> on, on, so, on some like deep web archive, you can finally find some random missives, but uh, most of that is gone. Yeah. Okay. With your home brewing, yeah. um, any of those recipes, any of those things come into the brewery? Oh, or? yeah. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, many of them. So um, Now, was home brewing something you did straight through? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, it was, there are two brewers that work with me in the back, so the, the general sort of um, way we operate around here is I run all um, uh, production and packaging, mm-hmm. and Michael runs all front of house and sales and the quality program in the lab. Okay. So um, our head brewer, John, works for me back in the production um, area. He's actually a, another home brewer that I competed against for a lot of my home brew career. Okay. Um, most of the recipes that we have up today, actually, are uh, either his or mine or ours as collaborations from years ago. Okay. Which is... Interesting because in New Jersey, most of the people I've been talking to, mm-hmm. that is the biggest entry. Sure. It's very few people where I worked in big beer and I came back and I wanted to do something smaller. Yeah. It's, it's almost always I was home brewing, I was part of a brew club. Yep. And inevitably, you know, part of that story is somebody I brewed with or went off to do a brewery and we are we help each other out or even in your scenario they're on the team mm. and we're growing together yeah you, you find this out a lot because especially you know I, I was born and raised in the south there's not a massive craft beer culture in the area where mm-hmm. I had grown up so uh, as a career opportunity as a youngster it just wasn't understood or known mm-hmm. or even talked about in many cases. So um, it takes a long time for a lot of people to figure out that a career can be made in this particular industry. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we talk to home brewers. A lot of home brewers have a lot of awesome other experience. They're business people, they're engineers, they're scientists, they're whatever. Um, and they're able to leverage that experience mm-hmm. uh, to open successful breweries. So with your with your homebrew recipes, mm-hmm. and which ones, any of them, come forward? Oh, yeah. yeah. So one of the ones on your flight board, uh, number four right there, that's Lani Ikea. Um, that's a Russian Imperial Stout. That mm-hmm. was the first Russian Imperial Stout that I ever did um, and uh, barrel aged. The original Lani Ikea recipe was done in a um, Balcones Baby Blue bourbon barrel because mm-hmm. they do 11-gallon barrels, and so I needed some <laughs> tiny barrels. Uh, this one is not done in 11-gallon barrels. This one is done in um, uh, this year's was done in Willet pot still bourbon barrels. Uh, what we do with Lani Ikea is every year, we change the spirit that the beer goes into. So our first year, it was all done with um, Elijah Craig barrels. And this year, it was done with Willet Pot Still barrels. And then next year, it'll be another spirit. It's always the same beer recipe, just with a slightly different uh, expression to the the whiskey. Coming off the barrels. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Very nice. Now, this comes in at... An imperial stat. I'm uh, yeah, guessing it's, it's right at ten percent. Nine nine is where it, where this particular beer comes okay. in. From your from an ABV perspective, are you aiming for mostly higher? Or do you go across the spectrum? 
So we have routinely, we have four flagship beers. Mm-hmm. Of our four flagship beers, uh, we have the lowest ABV is 3.4%, which is Mr. Stevens, the dark English mild that we serve on a nitro tap. Um, the highest is uh, A-Game, which is an IPA that comes in at 6.5 to 6.6, something like that. So mm-hmm. for our core beer lineup, you're looking at you know 3.4 to you know roughly 7%. Okay. Um, we always have four other beers available for purchase, so we, we maintain eight beers in market at any point. Four of them are flagships and four of them are specialties. On the specialty beer side of things, that's where we will stretch a little bit in terms of ABV. So okay. um, you know, the thing here at the elementary is everybody who works here is a beer fan like a beer drinker mm-hmm. and we all like to go out with friends and have a pint or two or three and walk away from it right. so just as as normal beer drinkers we tend to uh, the team tends to like beers of moderate ABV nothing mm-hmm. you know necessarily you know low ABV but certainly moderate and drinkable and um, so we, most of our beers are focused in that range okay Nice. Okay. Well, that is that is very nice. Thank you. I like that quite a bit. I have the 2016 version in this tulip right here. Actually, I, uh, the 2017 is the one you're drinking. Right. Uh, earlier today, we had opened a vintage bottle from our own collection and just to see how they're aging. They age really, really nicely. They're aging well. So, yeah. Very good. Okay. Well, maybe uh, maybe I'll grab a bottle and take the 2017 <laughs> home and let's see how it goes next year. Um, all right. So we're gonna go backwards here. So yep. three is. Uh, is, num- is Puerto Rico. It's Puerto Rico. Yeah, Puerto Rico is one of our anniversary beers for our first anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is our, uh, we have a flagship porter recipe called Chief Ortam Porter. It's a English style porter um, focused a little bit more on yeast character and some caramel crystal malts. We like our, we like our porters to be sort of round and voluptuous and, you know, sexy. Um, for our Anniversary, we thought, you know, let's get a local roaster. So we went down to, to Coffee Wagon on uh, 17 South, really close here. Uh, talked to those guys. They're regular drinkers here, so they know the beer, and they helped us find a coffee that would marry to that beer really nicely. Mm-hmm. And then uh, with coconut as an additive, we thought, you know, let's let's kick that out there and see if coconut coffee porter is a thing that works in our neighborhood. And turns out we haven't stopped making it since. It's like okay. it's it's probably the most sought after most requested beer that we have made here to date really yeah wow so any, will this become a a standard then or will this become one of will it go up to five <laughs> I, I you know we we struggle with this a lot which is do you really want to do you know five flagships or even four flagships right do we need to go down to three um you know puerto rico is a beer that since our anniversary we have made about every eight weeks and that mm-hmm. feels to be about about the right pace okay so okay. i don't know that it'll ever be permanent uh, but it'll always be here right but at, at eight weeks it's it's yearly you could pretty much get it yeah it, it's not like it yeah, yeah. definitely <laughs> I, and i mean you just tasted it right i mean it's it's a it's a porter that drinks kind of tropical and awesome in June, July, and August. Like, mm-hmm. if you're a dark beer drinker, um, you know, you could drink that in in the hot months, especially when the sun goes down. Um, you know, it's not a dark beer that's engineered specifically for, you know, uh, a fire pit and, uh, and snowy weather. Right. So, it, it, it's a 365 beer. Yeah. And the coconut... It was, I, it was surprising. It was a surprising taste that until you mentioned it, mm-hmm. I could not 
put my finger on right. exactly what it was. Yeah. But there was definitely it wasn't just a straight coffee. Yep. There was that. There was something else in there. So it, it does work very really well. Yeah, you, you'll find with a lot of the elementary beers. Um, Part of our aesthetic as beer makers is we don't do really anything that's too on the nose, if okay. that makes any sense, no, right? absolutely. So if we tell you it's a coconut coffee porter, it's going to be a very integrated, very gentle sort of presentation of two flavors where the beer is first mm-hmm. and the other flavors come second. Come second. Um, and you see that a lot with a lot of our um, a lot of our other flavored beers. Um, you know, the number two on your board is Saison um, de Fete which is a mahogany-colored saison done with black cardamom and orange zest. And it kind of, the purpose of this beer is to evoke the idea of the holidays Mm -hmm. without being, like I say, too far on the nose in terms of, like, it's not holiday spices, it's not eggnog, it's not, you know, it's not potpourri, it's not your your typical mix of holiday spices. But you take one drink of that and you go... It's the holiday season. It's the holidays, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It just kind of puts you in that frame of mind. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we bring that concept to most of our beers. So mm-hmm. Puerto Rico, you know, back to that beer is, you know, people drink it and they go, oh, that's really cool. What is that? What is right. that flavor? Like, I didn't even know coconut and coffee could come together and be like that. Right. You know? And it's very interesting. It's 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 uh, it's fun to be able to put those beers uh, in front of people and watch their reactions when they drink them. Yep. So... With your your mindset going into that, have you come across things that fail? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, are there are there things that just like, oh, we did that and it was awful and we dumped it? Oh yes, uh, many times. You know, I had uh, I have a very good friend and mentor of mine in the brewing industry, and and she's famous for saying that if you're not dumping beer, you're not trying hard enough. Okay. And so, um, you know, for for most everything we do here, uh, if if we don't want to serve it, it goes down the drain. We're, we're really not shy about trying an idea and waiting for it to not work <laughs> and then, <laughs> then send it down the drain. Uh, we've done a couple of experiments with vanilla that didn't work out like we wanted, uh, so those went down the drain. Uh, we've done some experiments with uh, alternative hopping and alternative uh, yeast and flavors. Those things go down the drain. Okay. So, um, yeah, so... Okay. Say, if you're not dumping beer, you're not trying hard right, enough. Right, okay. So I'm guessing you have a pilot system back there, or are you going uh, all in on No, a, we go all okay. in on a seven-barrel system. We, we do have a pilot system. We had one. I just loaned it to a fellow named Mike Jones, who's opening a brewery about 100 yards from us called uh, Hackensack Brewing Company. Okay. And... Um, so he's in the process of waiting for his city approvals, and so he's more or less brewing day and night trying to perfect his recipes. Okay. So I offered him up uh, our pilot system so he can borrow that and and use that to brew uh, repeatedly on, on his core recipes. So, okay. uh, But we hadn't used it for a long time. To be honest, it's like a seven-barrel scale. Um, you know, when, when we're looking at a seven-barrel fermenter, you can sell seven barrels of lots of things in the tasting room, mm-hmm. and it's not so expensive that we're shy about dumping it if we have to. Okay. So uh, it's, a, it's a convenient size to operate yeah. at. Okay. Nice. And then number one on the list was Magellan. Number and one is Magellan. That's your pail. Yeah, so this is a, we just started a new line of dry hopped and double dry hopped pale ales. And Magellan is the second one in that series. It's, you know, when you buy hops, you have uh, a hop contract because everything is bought on a futures basis. And when you get to, you know, November, December, 
you're usually running pretty thin on your hop contracts for that year. Mm-hmm. So this was this beer is reflective of our need to make a hoppy pale ale, um, but when we don't have the world's most desirable hops left on our hop contracts. So okay. this is uh, Simcoe and uh, a hop blend from Yakima Chief called Seven Seas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turned out to be a great beer for people who feel like they hate Simcoe. Okay. Uh, a lot of people don't, uh, a lot of people say that they don't like Simcoe. Um, we have very good quality Simcoe, so mm-hmm. this is uh, a slightly different expression of the hop. But uh, it keeps it fresh. It's like um, sort of fruity, tropical. It's mm-hmm. got a tangerine, tangerine rind, tangerine pith kind of an aroma to it. Yes. Um, but just like really fresh, really drinkable. Doesn't matter where you are. Mm-hmm. It's a delicious beer. It is. I'm trying to... I got a little bit of a cold, so... Mm. My tastes are a little off, but I'm getting almost like a, I want to say pine. Yeah. In it. There's a, there's definitely, so the Seven Seas Hop Blend is a blend of hops whose names begin with C, mm-hmm. hence Seven Seas. Uh, so it's, you know, Citra, Columbus, Centennial, Citra. So a lot of those hops have kind of a pine resin background to mm-hmm. them, and it surfaces a little bit in this beer. Um, and it's a, a, be a little bit of a throwback, uh, but I find it to be you know, delicious in this blend with the much more fruit-forward Simcoe. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. that you were looking to keep everything local, and then you kind of said, "Well, didn't always. It's not working out that way." <laughs> so I want to go back to that. So I'm guessing that the tap room is doing very well. Yeah. Um, it's no surprise, it's no secret that for from a monetary perspective, tap rooms are usually your best bet. If you can sell the beer here, you're doing much better than getting it out. Sure. So where else are you bringing the beers today? Uh, so it's just just reviewing earlier. Because there's a van right there. There is a so van right there. Yeah, we're, we're up. We're up somewhere. to about a, we're up to about 160 <laughs> different accounts, both uh, restaurant bar accounts and okay. package accounts. Uh, right now we're sitting at about 60% package goods versus 40% draft uh, for most of our products, and that's really been the shift that we were not expecting. Okay. Uh, you know, our, our taproom business, you know, like you say, it's no secret. Taprooms in New Jersey turn a good business. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's retail, do- it's retail dollars. It's, you know, it's real money. Um, but only about, you know, we have a fairly active taproom and only about 25% of the beer goes out of the taproom. So we're still doing about 75% of our business uh, outside. Wow. And that's to that's... liquor stores, uh, bars, restaurants. Uh, draft and package. Nice. Okay. Well, because I asked also because I know the blog po- on the blogs mm-hmm. in the community in the beer community is I know is very well thought of mm-hmm. and very sought after. Mm-hmm. So I was curious how much of it is getting out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Quite a bit of the beer is getting out there. There are not very many products that we keep to taproom exclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lania Kea is one of them. That's a taproom exclusive. Puerto Rico is a taproom exclusive. Um, most other things uh, we will send, you know, out to distribution. Okay. You know, it's it's part of the part of the fun of craft beer is that it's accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, you, there are a lot of great liquor stores around. There are a lot of great bars and restaurants around, um, and you should be able to go to any of these places in New Jersey and find super high quality local beer 
you know, anywhere you are. And right. so what anything we can do to support that is what we're going to do here. Right. And that's becoming more common. I wouldn't say it's even 50-50 yet, but it's growing. Oh, yeah. So that a lot of places, there's there's like one or two restaurants by me that are very big on, on local craft. Um, and then there are places where, you know, if it's not a... If it's not a big distributor, it's not there. So, sure, and it, it's driven by consumers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's driven by consumers going into bars and saying, "Hey, why don't you guys have this?" Or, you know, you have Stella. Why don't you have Hagensack Lager? Or, mm-hmm. you know, um, y- the cold call of small breweries going into bars and restaurants and liquor stores doesn't really work mm-hmm. all that well, well right? Okay. The more consumers we have engaged with these products, the more they ask for them in places they go. And that's the primary driver of demand. Right. Um, so you're actually, you're getting places calling you saying, hey, people are asking, what, can I get people in? Yeah, yeah I, would, I, I would say in the past week, nine or ten new places called the office and said, you know, we've heard your stuff is good. Can we can we get some? Nice. And okay. sometimes it's like, no, you're in Atlantic City, you know, and we the van doesn't go that far. <laughs> okay. Right? The, All right. The van stays, you know, pretty pretty tight to Bergen uh, County and, and North Jersey. Um, but in as much as we can get the beer places we can. And, right. and luckily we have other friends in the industry who do go that far who uh, can right. help us out. So. Okay. So what is what is on the horizon for you guys? I mean, is it I mean from a from a beer perspective and a business plan perspective, mm-hmm. what's what's coming up? Yeah, so from a beer perspective um, we've started growing our barrel program quite a bit. We've got some new tequila barrel projects coming out. We have uh, in January. Those are coming out in January. We have uh, we started connecting to some New Jersey wineries. They're doing some excellent work. And so we're going to have some white wine barrel projects partnering with New Jersey wineries coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, also in the first quarter of next year. Uh, this brewery, as it sits, is fairly close to capacity. We've okay. got about 25% extra beer that we can push through the plant as it sits right now. Um, and so at that point, we're going to be looking for a second facility. Okay. I think that our, you know, the elementary tap room is always going to be this place. Like mm-hmm. Hackensack is our brewery home. Uh, but we would love to have a second production-only facility somewhere out west where uh, square footage is not as expensive mm-hmm. as it is here. Yep, uh, where we can make more uh, more beer. You know, the the primary driver of that, believe it or not, is uh, Hackensack Lager, which is our uh, our hometown. You know, yellow lager. It's uh, it's a Hellas, a Munich Hellas lager. It's delicious. Um, we have a very diverse uh, town. And a very diverse community that comes in here to drink and so we decided to celebrate that diversity by saying like let's produce the beer that literally everybody has it doesn't matter where you are on the face of the earth right. everybody has uh, a delicious yellow lager so we made that uh, for Hackensack called Hackensack Lager and that beer has taken off and drives a tremendous amount of our production so I would love to take that beer statewide if we could right so I was, that was going to be one of my questions was going to be if somebody walks in who's not big into craft beer yet oh yeah who would say you know hey listen i drink 
I drink the the standard Budweiser, Miller, Michelob. Oh, yeah. Know. How do you guide them? Where would you tell them to start? Yeah, so we usually start with Hackensack Lager. Okay. Um, so we, we, our lager game tends to be pretty strong here. Both mm-hmm. John and I really love lagers. We love to produce them, uh, and we love to drink them. And so we've gotten very good at making them. I'm just cracking two out of a six-pack here <laughs> because we're going to do this the proper way. Uh, out of the can. Because we're not going to yeah, we're not going to pour this into a glass. Um, so we do a uh, this Hellas lager in a 12-ounce can. You know, totally traditional. Cheers. Cheers. I, I mean, seriously. Who, wow. Who can't get behind that? Yeah, that's right. That's that's summer. That's it's literally yeah. everything. Yeah. You don't have to be a craft drinker. No. To get into that beer. In fact, if you are. A macro lager drinker. Most people don't even know that a beer like that can come out of their hometown. They can come out of a mm-hmm. small brewery because, yeah. you know, so often craft breweries push limits, and that's what we're good at. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like we make the most awesome IPAs, we make the most crazy, you know, off the wall dark beers, and we can also produce um, delicious, clean, drinkable, friendly, accessible lagers, and we can do them at an approachable, approachable price point. Like this sits on your liquor store shelf at. Uh, $9.99 for the six pack. We even did a uh, we did a light version of that for football season mm-hmm. called Hackensack Light. Okay. Um, wow, but, you that might be a first that I've heard. A craft brewery making a light making beer. Making a light lager, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you it's, go. It's all about the technology, you know. It's like, um, you know, on a beer like that, when we're still sort of looking at uh, 21 days from grain to glass, mm-hmm. you think, you know, why not? Yeah. Why not produce it? Thanks, Blake. And thank you for listening. You can find out more about the Elementary at alimentary.com or visit their tap room at 58 Voorhees Lane in Hackensack. As we move toward the end of March, stay tuned for info on how you can win tickets right here to the Atlantic City Beer and Music Festival. I'll be there to record interviews during the three sessions, and we're going to have some tickets to give away. More on that later. You can find out more about the podcast at the blog at overbeers.beer. Please leave a rating for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. You can also leave a comment at the blog or send me an email. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas for the show. The email address is cheers at santephoto.com, and you can also follow along on Instagram at santephoto, S-A-N-T-E-P-H-O-T-O. I'm Freddie Clark, and I'm going to go have a beer, but I'll be back next week with another conversation over beers.